after a while, you get creative fatigue with the problem set that, that you are dealing with. You, you've looked at the same problem again and again and again and again. So you need to ask yourself, what do you actually think is important? And, and uh, what, what are you actually genuinely passionate about? Welcome to the SaaS Revolution Show, a podcast that brings you insights and tactics from the greatest SaaS minds across the world. The show is brought to you by SaaStock, the conference to turn your SaaS up to 11, returning to Dublin in October 15th to the 17th, 2018. I'm your host, Alex Thuma, and on this episode of the SaaS Revolution Show, I had the pleasure to talk with Peter Holton Moorman, CEO of Trustpilot, a platform publishing reviews for online businesses. Ten years ago, Peter decided all companies with online presence deserved to show they had happy customers through reviews and ratings. After hundreds of cold calls, asked for people to review every site they had ever used and heaps of naivety on how to start and run an internet company, Peter found the right business model. He has not only fulfilled his ambition, but has also created a hugely successful company along the way. Approaching unicorn status, Trustpilot has raised $143 million in venture funding, operates from seven offices around the world, and employs over 600 people. The reviews that companies showcase are seen two billion times each month. Peter has achieved all of that whilst keeping Trustpilot's headquarters in the small city of Copenhagen, Denmark. I really enjoyed my conversation with Peter because aside from the practical wisdom he offered, such as when is the right time to go international, so I think that if you want to move, you have to move really early, just like you said. Like, do it when you get your Series A or do it earlier. Um, moving a company with, say, a couple of hundred people is just not really plausible. And how to fundraise with American VCs who see European companies as far too big a risk. And the European investors hear that you're speaking with one of the top American funds. Uh, they have a much faster time writing that check. Uh, because they hate to lose the best companies to, to, to the American investors. But, but you shouldn't go there with the expectation that you'll actually come home with a bag of money. We talked at length that the key to scaling successfully is maintaining personal balance throughout the journey and relentlessly answering the pivotal question, why we exist as a company to everyone around. Before we get to my conversation with Peter, a quick reminder to drop a review for the SaaS Revolution show on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. Makes a huge difference to us. We really appreciate it. Now on with the show. Welcome to the SaaS Revolution show. Uh, Peter Holton uh, Moorman, uh, CEO and founder of uh, Trustpilot. Hey, thanks for having me today, Alex. Good to no, be did I, did I get your, uh, did I pronounce your, uh, your name right? Yeah, more or less. <laughs> Good enough for sure. People, people don't call you PHM for shorts or, uh, well, Peter's just fine, is it? Uh, a lot of people actually do call me PHM, okay. uh, but but Peter is uh, is also a good thing. I've actually noticed sort of digressing here because I, I used to do a lot of business in Denmark, and I think uh, generally people have this uh, I think like double barreled uh, sort of last name. So the the the, the emails uh, addresses of people who are trying to guess would typically be you know their uh, their initials sort of like DBC at company. Uh, dot com not to uh, not to give anything away but um uh, but anyway so peter uh, you know uh, really delighted to have you on the uh, uh, on the podcast uh, today to uh, a guest that i've been uh, looking to get on for uh, for a while um so looking forward to the conversation um you know always we we start with getting to know you know our, our guests a, a, a little bit better 
uh, also their companies. Um, and so just tell us a little bit about who is, uh, who is uh, Peter Holton Munwood. Yeah, so sure. Um, so I am born in a tiny little village with a couple of thousand inhabitants. Um, my dad is a doctor. My mom is a nurse. I have two younger sisters that I adore. Uh, I uh, studied um, at the business school, um, spent 10 years there uh, without really getting the big degree. Um, but that's because I started a company. Uh, so first I started um, a little e-commerce business. Uh, we'll, we'll probably talk a little bit more about that later. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then in 2007, I um, started the company that I'm working at now, which is Trustpilot. Mm-hmm. Um, I am Danish, as people can probably hear. I am introverted, which is sometimes um, a gift, but also a challenge when you're when you're starting a business. Uh, I have a bit of a an obsessive personality, which can also be a challenge and a gift. Then I think that I have been blessed that I have found something where I can turn all my quirks and um, and, and and different weird aspects of my personality into something that's actually genuinely useful for, for me and, and for the wider world. Hopefully all our audience uh, knows uh, what Trustpilot does. But can you tell us a little bit about, um, you know, what, what is Trustpilot and then kind of lead from that, you know, into the origin story? You know, why, why did you found it in the first place? Yeah, sure. So Trustpilot um, is first and foremost a place where you as a person can see what other people think about um, the companies they buy from. So, so, so what was the experience that other people had when they bought from companies, primarily in the online world? So think about it a little bit like a TripAdvisor for just not for hotels, but for, for the wider sphere of companies in the online world. And that used to be primarily just companies that would put stuff in a box and then send it to you. Um, but today, I mean, you really buy everything online. Um, and for, so for businesses, we help businesses understand their customers better. We help them collect feedback from their customers. And then we help them hopefully showcase that they're a great company. So, so if you're running a business and uh, you want to show potential customers that um, they will be happy when they buy whatever you're trying to sell, uh, you can use Trustpilot to show what previous customers thought. I think we're active in more countries than I remember, uh, and we're roughly five to six hundred people. Have offices in, say, seven countries, I think. And we've by now not that that in, in itself is a su- success criteria, but I think we've raised a little north of 140 million dollars uh, um, and uh, been going at it for ten years now. How many? How many customers are you, are you able to share that? Sort of uh, yeah, it's it's in the tens of thousands. Would would be the the yardstick, uh, and and it, but it's a freemium model. So if you really wanted, you, you would say that there are hundreds of thousands of companies on the platform, mm-hmm. and the millions of normal people like you and me sharing their opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I th- I think our reviews are being shown. Uh, I mean, a good part north of two billion times every month okay uh, that's uh, it's uh, that's a, a big number um let, let's uh, i want to get into the freemium model a, a little bit later but um uh, now we've got a background of you know who, who Trustpilot is like you know why, why did you found it in the first place and you mentioned earlier you know this little e-commerce business um you know is, is that sort of related uh, did that e-commerce business 
you know, turn into Trustpilot or was it something that you just did a startup, it didn't work and you moved on to another idea? Yeah, so I mean, so first of all, I think, I think many people um, often think that entrepreneurs have this eureka moment in the bathtub, what, right? Where, where you're, you're sitting there and you're like, oh my God, I have this idea and then you're done. Uh, and, and 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 that was it, and that's the and then you create the company. So, but it, but I think most people who've tried to create a business also knows that it's it's far from the first thought and idea that that you have about a business. Uh, there's there's pretty big gap between what that is and then what the company ultimately turns out to be. Um, so 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 I prefer to say that you explore a problem set or you explore a part of the world where you think, hey, this could be done better. So in my case, it was a combination of two things. So first of all. As a consumer, I thought, hey, it's really when, when I buy things online, it's a little bit like the Wild West. Uh, you know, sometimes you get it, sometimes you don't. Sometimes it's problematic. What do you do if you want to return it? Like it, 10 years ago, that was really chaotic. And I think today the challenge is a little bit less like, will I actually get what I buy, but more, will I get happy? Uh, is it genuinely good experience that this company delivers, what, 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 whether it's a service or, or whether they're selling a product? And so I thought, hey, there's a lot of this information that's already out there, but, it, it, but it's scattered. So as, as a consumer, as a potential customer, it's very hard to get an overview. You read a newspaper article, you read a blog post, you read some people ask like, hey, like, did anyone have experiences buying from this company? So I thought if we could somehow put all this information together in one place and structure it in a nice way, that would be very, very useful. And I had people that, that I was close to, for example, like my mom, where, where they, when they bought online, like things would always, like they wouldn't always turn out to be what they expected, right? Uh, and, and, and so that was the uh, experience as a, as, as, as a normal person, uh, just living in an online world. And then the other half of it was having had, or I, still, I had this e-commerce business. It started out as uh, primarily selling on the eBay's of the world. And, and, and so I, I sold small electronic items like a cable connecting a Sony Ericsson phone to a computer. And uh, we'd buy them in bulk and then sell them piecemeal on eBay. And, and on eBay, you have this system where the seller and buyer will review each other. And so, so we, my business, we would have 10 or 20 or 50,000 good reviews. Uh, then when we opened... Uh, our own website um, and uh, people came to us through Google searches or whatever. Uh, they thought, Hey, this is probably just a kid in a basement selling cables. Like I don't trust this guy. And unfortunately the fact that I was just a kid in a basement selling cables was true. Uh, and so it, I, I thought like, Hey, it's a little bit silly that why is it only these closed platform systems that have these reviews? Like, why is that not accessible to every company? Because really every company needs to show that they're a great company, that every company, doesn't matter what you sell, you need to show that you have happy customers. Um, and so I, uh, and, and I think, I think the, the idea emerged as the creative, you can say merger of those two worlds. Um, so, 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 and, 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 then we started Trustpilot where you could go in and write your opinion and read other people's opinions and companies could use it to show that they're a great company. 
How long from when you had the idea of uh, Trustpilot to uh, was it to you actually, you know, had the business, uh, you, you know, maybe, you know, had your website, um, had the first customer? I was actually, I think I was rather efficient. Uh, I, it took me about three to four months to, to go from the first idea to really knowing what I wanted to do. And then um, I was so fortunate that that um, a close family member had a bit of cash, so so I, I, I raised like a very early angel round, and I think five six months later we were live. Um, then f- from going live to actually having the first customer that took a long time because initially I was I was pretty naive. And um, I read uh, TechCrunch, uh, and I could read on TechCrunch that that the way you started internet companies was to create something uh, that didn't make money, but that would go viral. And then uh, you would get billions of people to use it, and then you would get acquired for a fortune, or you would sell something loosely defined as data. Um, or uh, you would uh, sell advertising space. Um, so, so I had some pretty naive ideas about how you, you build a company. And, and so initially it worked out well. Uh, we actually um, we managed to get on the front page of the largest newspaper in Denmark uh, the day after uh, we launched. Um, how did you manage that? So, so, so two things. So, so one thing is that um, so, so we, we were actually very systematic about it. So, so, so we were four guys. Uh, we, we spent four days calling uh, every newspaper in the country, and so, so on. At the end of that day, we had managed to get on page seventeen, like with a three-liner in in one of the small ones. Nobody cared, um, and 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 then uh, it was a little bit of luck. Uh, where I'm at a family party and I've had just a few glasses of champagne. And then I'm getting this call back from one of the journalists uh, that I hadn't managed to speak with. Uh, and because I'm a little bit tipsy, I'm more loose. Yeah. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm really not trained at that point to speak with the journalists. Um, so I give him some pretty juicy comments about how we want to bring justice to the internet and punish the bad companies. and. And and so and, and <laughs> we just keep talking and talking, and then after an hour, I'm asking, "Hey, are you going to print this?" And then he says, "So, Peter, unless something happens with the prime minister overnight, you're on the front page tomorrow." <laughs> and so, so that was the one dimension of it. But what but, but people have to remember is Denmark is a very very small country. Like, not a lot of things will happen here, in particular over the summer. Like, the competing headline is how long the cucumbers are this season. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> Uh, so, so, so people shouldn't expect to be able to do that in in any uh, normally nor, normal sized country. That's that's a great story, though. And you said, like, so you know, at the beginning, uh, or or still, you know, you're a freemium product, um, but I guess there there is also a paid plan, right? Um, but no, you, no. Okay. I mean, I mean, today there is, but but when we started, it was everything was free. Like go, like the plan was get on the front page, go viral. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then, like, see the magic unfold. Um, Did you uh, go viral? No, because then, can you remember what was on the front page of the biggest newspaper in your country two days ago? No. 
Right, you can, right? It's just, it's just something like something about Brexit, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so you remember there's a reason they use it as fish paper. And so the first day we had 20,000 visits. The next day we had 2,000. The third day we had 200. And the fourth day I think we had two. Um, and so, so, so then, uh, and, and the business model was purely um, Google AdWords. Or when, when we had 1,000 visitors, uh, we would get um, one euro. And so in a month uh, after a little bit of, of, of um, hard work, um, we were able to get four euros in, uh, in, in revenue every month. One, one euro each, yeah? Yeah, exactly. So, no, but I mean, if, if, if we just gave it everything to one person, we could buy like a pizza slice and, and a Coca-Cola. <laughs> So when, when, did it, when, yeah. did it, when did it change? Like, what was the kind of, in, you know, the inflection point? Say, hold on, you know, now, you know, it's really working. Now it's viral or... Yeah, know. yeah. So, so there, there were two. So, so building up a reviews website is really like the chicken and the egg because initially you don't have a lot of content. And so if you don't have a lot of content, you don't have a lot of value to people visiting your site. So, so it was really me giving a lot of unwanted review requests like i would ask anyone repeatedly hey like could you review every company you ever bought from um and and slowly slowly but surely that generated more content and with that came more traffic and with that came even more content and then also we saw a couple of of um of larger companies starting to adopt it uh where they said hey we have great reviews on trustpilot and they would use that everywhere and so, so, so then uh, the companies helped spread the word like that. Uh, or journalists would, would use it as, a, as a, for example, they would look at the reviews and they would say, hey, this is what these co- like consumers are writing about this business and put that in the newspaper. So, so the co- we, we found that because we had valuable, interesting content, uh, there were a lot of different people who were interested in distributing that content. And so, and, and so, so that became a, a self-reinforcing effect also. Um, but even, even that being the case, uh, even when we had 30,000 and 40,000 and 100,000 visitors, the one euro per, per thousand was still not a good business model. Um, so, and I think it, it took us two years from when we started uh, to, to, um, to, to figure out like what was the business model going to be and turn that into a real product and then um, like start selling it, which was also like a pretty scary experience. I, I'm, I don't know if you've tried to do cold calling. If you try no, just I, to... I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, my, I think my first job, I used to have to make over 100 calls a day. Yeah. Uh, and out of that, you know, maybe, you know, maybe five, you know, conversations were okay. Yeah. 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 So, so we had this, like the first product was we had a green box show it where it says like you had five stars and then it said trust pilot. And that was really, that was it. Like there was, you couldn't customize it. You couldn't do anything else. You could just show that green box. So that, that was the product. And then I I tried to call companies and and, and said like, Hey, you need to show this green box. Um, and, and and I had the same experience where, where, where you just, calling and calling and calling and 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 in particular if you're not used to it and and if you're a little shy uh it's it's actually pretty tough um but at the same time like since this podcast is also meant for 
for founders of companies, it's actually something that I would I would highly recommend it to founders, and particularly in the early stage, to join their sales teams and to try what it's like to to do sales um, because it, it gives you clarity of vision. Uh, and uh, before that, we would spend a lot of time debating if if a button should be red, green, or orange. And and then when you have conversations with many potential customers, you, you quickly learn that, hey, if you had this capability or this feature, they would like your product a lot more. And, and so knowing what actually goes on amongst your customers and, and, and what it's like to sell to them, what the buying process is, uh, I, I think is incredibly valuable also. I agree, agree, absolutely. Um, you've raised, uh, was, was it $143 million, something like that? Sounds uh, about right. Yeah, <laughs> when... Um, when did you decide to kind of raise? So you had the angel money from um, you know a, a family member. When did you decide? Okay, we're going to take this into you know down the venture capital path and raise seed and you know go down this journey. Really, from I'd say almost from day one, uh, I always thought that Trustpilot would be a capital-intensive company to create because there are so many challenges in it. Um, you need to have rather sophisticated tools to prevent, uh, to, to ensure the integrity of the reviews. Uh, you need to have a, a suite of products to the companies. You need to create compelling product to consumers. You need a lot of content before it starts to be valuable. Uh, you need to invest in building a brand. Uh, and I, I knew that I was young and inexperienced and hadn't done anything like this before, so I would make a lot of mistakes. And I thought that it would be a country-by-country winner-takes-most game. Just like you see for hotels where, 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 where TripAdvisor is just so much bigger than anyone else and for restaurants where Yelp is so much bigger than anyone else, I thought the same would be the case for, for this market. And so I, I thought that either we would be the best and the biggest first or there would be a big uh, likelihood that eventually we would lose to the company that would be. Which, which funds uh, led the, uh, the, the, the seeds? Uh, um, seed? uh, so, so, so that's a Danish early stage fund called Seed Capital. Mm-hmm. Okay. Uh, and, uh, and, and how did they help you at that stage beyond the money? In lots of different ways. Like um, in particular, uh, they introduced me to more senior people who were former entrepreneurs themselves and had built a company successfully. And so, and that, that really, really, really helped me um, in, in the sense that they came in um, with an enormous experience uh, that, that really helped us scale. And at the same time, um, they understood when to give me space and, and, and when to listen to me. Like, like when, when you're a young founder, um, everybody can out PowerPoint you. Or, or they, they have better arguments than you and they have 20 years more experience than you. But sometimes you just know because you're the founder. And so, so when you bring more, more, more experienced executives in, it's, it, it, it's all about you knowing when you should just let them do their thing. But also they should really know when they, when you, that you should just do your thing. And, um, and, and, and so that, that worked out really, really well. Um, and, and then the second thing that that they did that really helped us was just to as we grew make further introductions to to the next stage um investors um and and, and then the third part that i think can be very helpful when you're dealing with investors is that they've seen uh 
other companies go through the same things that you're going through. With, with the next stage investors, or let, let's say if we, we take the whole uh, um, 143 uh, million, are, uh, are, they, are they all European-based or do you have any US-based uh, uh, investors? Yeah, so they're mainly European-based early on. Uh, we also got an investment from Draper, Fisher, or Jurvidson. Uh, mm-hmm. so, so, so they're a California-based uh, fund. Okay. Uh, and, and do they typically invest in, in European uh, HQ companies? Or is no, this- I, I mean, I, I'm not sure what the case is for that particular fund, uh, but I will say in general from funds in the valley it's it's and, and also from just from from venture capital in america it's extremely rare that they invest in european companies uh so first of all um the american investors usually have a, a fantastic deal flow just from their own ecosystem and second uh like everybody else they're minimizing risk and you minimize risk by not investing into the unknown so so as a european entity you're much more unknown uh, they usually will say, oh, you're probably winning in Europe because the competition is weak. But once there is a strong American company, that will surely win the category, just like we've seen in any other case. Um, so, so I actually often encourage people to go to America uh, for fundraising purposes, but just more because they'll, uh, they'll learn something and they'll have fun um, meeting the Americans uh, they should do it, and, and also because when the European investors hear that you're speaking with one of the top American funds, uh, they have a much faster time writing that check uh, because they hate to lose the best companies to, to, to the American investors. But, but you shouldn't go there with the expectation that you'll actually come home with a bag of money. Right. So you, so you, well, I'm, I'm speaking to you today. You're in uh, in the Copenhagen HQ. Um, often, a lot of uh, SaaS businesses and internet businesses, you know, when they reach a certain sort of scale, um, you know, uh, often as early on as you know, Series A, um, you know, we see a, a kind of trend that they, you know, open a US office, sometimes even relocate the HQ, you know, to the Valley or to New York. Um, uh, but why, why have you decided, uh, or, you know, what's the reason that um, uh, Trustpilot is still headquartered in, uh, in, in Copenhagen? So a number of reasons. So, um, so first of all, we, we actually grew to a pretty big size in Europe before we opened um, any activities in the U.S. market. And so moving a couple of hundred people would just like not, a good thing to do. And then secondly, we had a pretty good thing going here. Uh, There were a lot of departments that were just like humming pretty nicely. Um, And and, and just the thought of moving something that already worked uh, quite well seemed a little bit broken. Um, So I think that if you want to move, you have to move really early, just like you said, like do it when you get your Series A or do it earlier. Um, moving a company with, say, a couple of hundred people is just not really plausible. Um, and, and, and then what we did instead was we hired um, local... First, we hired local leadership in the U.S. market. And then secondly, today, you could say we have a split HQ between London and New York and Copenhagen because um, at some point we, we did need to make some some hires that had a different experience than, than the experience that we could find in Copenhagen. So if you look at the leadership team today, it's in those three cities. 
How did you uh, decide, you know, where to, you know, open your offices or where to scale to next? Was it simply a question of we've got the most customers here or, were, you know, are there any other kind of factors to consider? I'd say initially it was way too random based on just like I got introduced to this lady who could sell into a given market and then I was like, oh my God, we have to open in that market. And then like seven or eight markets later, I was probably a little overextended uh, strategically. And so I think that uh, the advice I would give to other startups is to get one market right before you expand into other markets and then do them one at a time. But but really also understand your 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 your, your own market dynamics. There, there are some companies for whom it doesn't really matter if you have a critical size in some markets where your product is just born global from day one. It really is born global. And then there are other, for example, like marketplaces, dating websites or review websites where it's very important that you have a big presence in one market. And so, so I'd recommend that you really understand A, your go-to-market model and B, the strategic context of that market and, and, and look at that before you internationalize. What have the, what, you know, as you scale to, um, I guess, be a, you know, a global business and, you know, 600, uh, sort of roughly 600 people, what have been the challenges uh, that, that you face? I'm sure there have been many, um, but, you know, can you sort of highlight any particular challenges uh, that, that you face as a, uh, as a CEO of a scaling company? Yeah, I'd say um, number one recommendation to other CEOs and founders or anybody who's in, in a startup environment is focus on recruiting. I think people spend 2% of their time on recruitment and then they spend 98% of their time fixing that mistake. Every mistake we've made, uh, not every, but most mistakes we've made or most years we've had where we've had hotter times, uh, they have started with hiring the wrong person for the job. And, and so I think that being incredibly systematic, structured, um, diligent, and, and just spend a boatload of time on recruitment is, is, is the number one advice. And then the second advice is... Um, the Simon Sinek advice, start with why. Keep explaining to people why are we here, why is it that we exist, uh, why is the strategy such as it is, so that people can take the right decision without asking anyone else, ideally. And I think, I think the mistake that I made and that I see others make is that as the companies scale, they become very focused on scaling the business, which is really, really important, uh, but then in that obsession over the scale, they sometimes forget the why. You know, when, when you're only 10 people or 20 people or 50 people, people intuitively get the culture. They intuitively understand why everybody's doing what they're doing. They intuitively understand everything. And and, and uh, important decisions can get taken over a game of foosball. Um, and, and then after everybody's like, yeah, yeah, that, that's, uh, that, that's why we're doing it and how we're doing it. And then as the company grows, um, you're hiring people that you've never met, uh, that maybe the longest interaction they have with you is a couple of minutes. And so, so put yourself as a founder in a position where it, it, it should be your team that, that really helps to scale the company and, 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 and you need to keep telling the why. Is the why, do you think, you know, is that the key to, you know, sustaining this culture, um, you know, th from when you were four people to, to, to 600? Uh, is, is that one of the things? 
Yeah, and exactly. That that's what I mean with it. That you you can never really replace the small company dynamic and the intimacy in that. Uh, but it's your your best uh, tool in the toolkit, in my opinion. That and then a good amount of process and and structure uh, and, and and clear decision authority. Um, just coming to the, uh, the the end of the show now. Just got a couple of more questions for you, uh, uh, Peter. Um, one, I, I'm sort of curious to know what is your uh, I guess typical week look like. You know, how much we we spoke about recruitment just now and. Um, you, you know, uh, like, are you spending fifty percent of time on recruitment, or you know, is there a uh, you know, is there a set amount of time? Uh, and what are the other um, uh, you, you know, uh, what else are you doing? You know, sort of during the week. Um, that, that's one thing I'm, I'm curious. Yeah, so so I, I spend a good amount of time um, being you can you can compare it to being the editor of a newspaper where I will just read a lot of information that people, I will read a lot of stuff uh, that people have produced internally. A suggestion for what's the, what's the updated product strategy for next year? What's, what's the um, marketing strategy? What's the recruiting plan? And so I'll just read a lot. And ideally, I should just read it and say, oh, everything is going fine. And then now and then I need to make a decision where I say, okay, so I have to move in here and make a little tweak or give it a little notch or a worst case, just say stop. Um, and then uh, I spend a fair amount of time um, being the, the chief storyteller. So asking myself, how can we communicate? I'd say also just a good amount of time um, just actually executing, <laughs> uh, being in meetings, uh, fixing things, but it's, it's actually, uh, now that you're asking the question, uh, I'm actually thinking right now, maybe I should be my, more mindful about how I actually spend my time, maybe track it a little bit better. Because beyond those broad buckets, I wouldn't have a clue how many hours I spend on email or <laughs> in phone meetings. Uh, I only sort of knows that it feels right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, sure, I'm sure there's something uh, there for, for CEOs or whatever to, yeah. uh, to, to track that. Um, if not, somebody might, uh, might build that uh, listening to the show. Um, but, you know, obviously, um, like the final question, you, you know, scaling, uh, you've been to Trustpilot, I think it's 10 years, right, uh, yeah. the, the journey. Raising 143 million, you know, comes with a lot of uh, pressure, responsibilities, you know, managing a, a company of 600 people. Um, you know, how do you stay uh, sane, you know, in this, uh, th- this long journey, the 10-year journey, you know, so far? Um, you know, be interested to, uh, to, to know what you do to, <laughs> uh, to deal with the hard times and outside of work, um, you know, keeping you sane. Yeah, so first of all, I'll, I'll, I'll say that it's actually very, very difficult. Like the first couple of years uh, where you have a company, it runs on enthusiasm and, and creativity and you have all this new energy and this new excitement. And, and, and then after a couple of years uh, or maybe after five years, you need to replace that with uh, or, or add something to it. Um, so first of all, I, I'd suggest that people ask themselves, um, what are they willing to be really, really concerned and stressed out about? Like in your life, what, what, what's okay that, that really bothers you to the extent that you can't sleep or can't enjoy a social setting? Like, for example, if you have a close family member that's, that's ill or, or even dying, I think that's totally okay. 
Um, but I think there are many, many things in life where, where people tend to almost care too much. So, so they should just think about, be conscious of, of areas where they can give less of their emotional energy into it. Um, then uh, it's all about maintaining a creative energy. You get after a while, you get creative fatigue with the problem set that that you are dealing with. And so, so I think I think there are unique problem sets for every company. As a founder, after a couple of years, like like you, you've looked at the same problem again and again and again and again. So you need to ask yourself, what do you actually really think is important? And and uh, what what are you actually genuinely passionate about? So that could, could be small things like: Are you passionate about giving great presentations, or are you passionate about really ensuring that you're running a smooth engine, or that you have um, the best managing managing structures in the world, or what what is it? Like big things and small things, and and then try to put yourself into a position where um, you can focus on that. And then I'd say, uh, just tr- you should you should look at yourself not just as the CEO of the company, but as the CEO of yourself. Uh, so, so you need to make sure that that the other parts of your life are working well for you. Like you need to be reasonably healthy, need to have be um, sleeping well, need to you, you know your romantic life and your friends and your social life and all that also has to work like you can you can put that on hold for a little while if, you, if you're in, in a particularly stressful period but after a couple of years i think it will um come back and and um and haunt you if, if you're not personally in balance then then sooner or later that will just get you and so uh, there was this old politician who had I think I think fairly good life advice, and he said like if if once every day you laugh so much that you cry, uh, you know you just roar with laughter. So you're like really just sitting there like giving it a good cup, and and, and just do that with with people that you like. Uh, then it was a good day, and so I think people should ask themselves that, and and if 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 they can laugh with with all their soul for a good couple of minutes, then it was a good day. Well, I think, I think that's uh, uh, excellent advice there, Peter. And uh, uh, I, I subscribe to, to that very much. Uh, I mean, actually sort of personally, you, you know, my, my journey with, uh, with Sastop, we're only two years old as a business. And I think, you know, the first two years, it it's, was no vacations, no time for, for exercise and, you know, suddenly becoming, you know, very unhealthy and, um, now we're kind of, you know, uh, past those two years, I'm, I'm trying to make a much more conscious effort to, uh, uh, to not neglect, you know, the, the body and the mind and, you know, the family and need these type of things. Um, not that I necessarily neglected the family, but, uh, I do appreciate that these things are, are, are very important in terms of the energy that you can put back into the business. So, um, definitely, uh, uh agree with you. Um, Look, I really enjoyed today. Uh, great conversation. I really appreciate you taking the time to to share these uh, the, these insights and the stories of uh, uh, you know how you founded uh, Trustpilot and your journey. So uh, you know, thank you very much for, uh, for for being part of the SaaS Revolution show today. No, thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure. I hope people will find it useful. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of the SaaS Revolution show with Peter Holton Mulman, CEO of Trustpilot and will find your ways of staying healthy and in balance with yourself. Thanks for listening and for your continued support. If you enjoyed this episode, please take a couple of minutes to rate and review it on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. 
makes a huge difference and see you next time.